0: Sir in the T1 Abras, I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making his weekly appearance as the managing editor of Fangraphs, Mr. Dave Cameron. And in what follows, as per usual, Dave Cameron analyzes all baseball. The listener might be curious as to what specifically we discuss in what follows. Indeed, allow me to answer that question. First of all, we look at the decline of Dan Ugla, the recent decline of Dan Ugla. The bemuscled second baseman of the Atlanta Braves has not been hitting well of late. What are the causes of that slump, and what do they and what do they not have in common with the slump that he suffered over the first half of 2011? Also discussed on this episode of the podcast, Jerkson Profar and Shelby Miller, they're both top-rated prospects. They've both been promoted as part of September roster expansion, and they both play for playoff contending teams. What will their roles be? What ought their roles to be? Moving on from there, I asked Cameron about roster expansion in general. What sort of role does it provide so far as he sees? How might it be improved? Finally, Chris Medlin. I wrote a piece about him for Tuesday afternoon. Should we be surprised by how good Medlin's been over the last month? And by how good that is, in fact, the best pitcher in the major leagues? That kind of good? It's audio. It features our managing editor, Dave Cameron. And it begins right now. Had. That's why I hazarded it. Yeah. I use hazard as a verb. Okay. Cameron. Yeah. Baseball. There is uh, what just a month of it, maybe.
1: Uh yeah, basically a month.
0: Yeah. yeah, but month of the regular season. Let's see what is happening. I'm looking. I'm looking right now at narratives. Well, okay. Wait. Here's a narrative that one that you produced with regard to Dan Ugla. Yes. What? Um,
1: Although I think Dan Uggland maybe produced this narrative with his own powerful
0: sucking. He did. He, yeah, he did it himself. Uh, and you uh, you just happened to uh, document it.
1: Yeah, I was one of many people who pointed out that Dan Uggland has been really awful lately.
0: No, he was really awful, at least in terms of the numbers he was producing. I don't know if the underlying numbers were the same, but the sort of production numbers, he was really off of, like, for the first half of last year, right?
1: Yeah, his first half was terrible. Uh, most of that was, like, extremely low Vavis. He was under 200 each of the first three months of last season. But his walk rates were also down from his normal levels, and he wasn't hitting for as much power as he had previously. So mm-hmm. it wasn't just all luck. Um, and as I noted in the piece, Uglo is hitting more infield flies than he ever has before, so some of his uh problems are self-made.
0: So is his incompetence right now different than the incompetence um, he exhibited over the first half of last year?
1: Yes. Um, so last year, in the first half of the first few months, uh, the problems were essentially insanely low Babbitts uh, and lower than average walk rates. His Babbitts rebounded a bit, uh, as you'd expect. I mean, no one could keep posting 180s for too terribly long. Uh, so they're not so low anymore that we should think that uh, that there's a huge rebound coming. His walk rates are actually three or high. These are like 15-16% walk rates right now, mainly because he can't hit the ball anymore. His strikeout rates have gone way up. His contacts on, on uh, pitches in the strike zone is way down. Um, he's basically turned into Mark Reynolds or uh, Russell Brandon or some hitter like that, where it's uh, three true outcomes, walk, strikeouts, and occasionally a home run, he, but was doing it without the prodigious power that those guys have. So uh, it's like a slightly weaker version of Mark Reynolds, which, you know, not that exciting of a player.
0: Right, not that exciting of a player. Uh, Then again, uh, Dan Ugla also plays second base, which is a um, mostly important position on the Diamond. I'm curious if that that maybe offsets uh, some of the offensive plunge.
1: Yeah, well, I think that's why you've been able to stay in the lineup, for, at least up until, you know, a few days ago. Uh, there, you know, because there's not a lot of second baseman who can hit, the Braves are willing to put up with ugly slump and hope he would rebound and have that, you know, big second half that he had last year. Um, but he's not really much of a second baseman. I mean, he's a big liability defensively. So this is like a gold glove fielder that running out there. So he's not adding a ton of defensive value, and when he's not hitting, he's not very
0: good. Now this is a curious thing. Or I'd like to ask a question about this. Dan Ugla was not anything like a top prospect um, no. in the you know I guess what the early aughts when he was in the minor leagues. Yep. Um, he didn't make his major league debut until his age 26 season. At which point he proceeded to post a four or four and a half win uh, season. Yep. Which I don't know. Do you remember? Was that was that surprising at the time given his pedigree?
1: Yeah, yeah, he was a Rule 5 pick from Arizona. Uh, the Marlins plucked him out of the Rule 5 draft, uh, installed him as in the starting second basement, and were like, hey, wow, this turned out pretty well.
0: So if you had to hazard a guess, Dave Cameron, yep. would you think that a player like Dan Ugla, who sort of takes the world by storm, sort of uh, surprises people, um, in this case mostly because of his power, uh, you know, his capacity for power, Do you think a player like that is more susceptible to these sort of weird declines or weird drops in production we've seen Ugla produce over the last couple of years?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense if you think about it from a logical perspective. There were issues that scouts had with Ugla uh, before he was ever successful, and the issues that they had are now the things that are causing him to fail. I mean, he was an unathletic guy who didn't look like he could play second base, um, didn't project to have as much power as he had, uh, and so I missed a lot. So, you had a guy with, you know, questionable contact rates, questionable power, questionable defense. That's, that's not a great prospect, especially in a uh, short, stocky guy without much room to grow. And so, um, you know, I think what scouts saw in the minor leagues is kind of what we're seeing in the major leagues right now is that this is a skill set that has some pretty significant problems. Uh, ugly hit for more power and made better contact in the majors for five years than anyone expected. And, yeah, I think, you know, we've seen players like this before. Marcus Giles, who, you know, was a Braves second baseman for a while, fits a similar mold of, uh, you know, offensive first, second baseman, comes up, hits for power, and declines very quickly. I think you can throw Kelly Johnson in there as well. For whatever reason, the Braves just keep developing these, you know, surprisingly good offensive second basemen who fall apart pretty quickly. Um, and, you know, I think there is something to be said for this skill set, uh, probably not being one that you can count on for sustained success over a long period of time.
0: Well, is that what is that sort of with the credibility behind uh, the five tool assessment of prospects? Is that you don't necessarily need if you have a, if you have a prospect with five tools, and you know you, you might alter them um, from from a sabermetric perspective. I know John Sickles usually talks about seven tools or something to that to that effect. But the idea that if you have a player with a breadth of talents, he doesn't necessarily need to rely on just one of those tools. Uh, To be a productive major league player,
1: right. I mean, if you're good at a lot of things, you don't have to be great at anything. In Uglo's case, the bad defense and uh, lack of athleticism pointed to the fact that his skill set was only going to work if he hit for a lot of power. And I don't think anyone ever saw Uglo hitting for the kind of power he did in Miami. Um, I mean, you know, it's really hard to project uh, anyone to hit, you know, especially a middle infielder to hit 30, 35 home runs a year. Um, so I think, you know, Ugla succeeded through being outstanding at one thing, and now it appears that that one thing has either gone away or significantly re- regressed, and what's left is a package of skills that just aren't aren't that good. And so, you know, it appears uh, based on, the, you know, the pop-up numbers and the strikeout numbers that Ugla's changed his swing to get more balls in the air and likely in an effort to compensate for a loss of power. Uh, and you know we saw Carlos Pena do a similar thing. Is you know he used to hit 45 home runs, but all of a sudden the bat speed slowed a little bit, and he couldn't he couldn't do that anymore. So now he's hitting tons and tons of fly balls and still not making contact. And you know what's left is a bench player.
0: And is that is that what Carlos Pena is right now? I apologize for not yeah, knowing the answer to that.
1: Pena just lost his first base job with the Rays. i mean, going signed him to, to take over, but like almost every free agent the Tampa Bay science for significant money, he was a total bust. And uh, I think at this point, he's nothing more than a pinch hitter versus right-handers.
0: Right. Well, I saw that Jeff Kepinger had been starting quite a few games against left-handers there. who's Who's got the other role there, or is it just Kepinger all over?
1: They're, yeah, they're going to move Kepinger around and kind of mix and match based on matchups. But the Madden said publicly, I think Thursday or Friday, that, that Pena is uh, no longer going to be the everyday first baseman.
0: Okay. So the Braves are a team um, with a pretty good chance of making the postseason... Uh, if not necessarily winning the division, then at least uh, at least qualifying for the playoff game, uh, or the play-in game, I should say. And if I'm not mistaken, actually, they're they're sort of uh, they're first in, in, by that measure.
1: Yeah, I think they're in the lead for the National League Wild Card, but it's a pretty small lead. I think uh, uh, the Dodgers obviously are playing better, and uh, San Francisco's playing well out in the West, so it seems that one of those two teams, uh, the one that doesn't win the division, could challenge Atlanta. Um, and then St. Louis, you know, is a, not a team you think more with that offense and some pretty decent pitching. So I don't think it's a lock that Atlanta's going to get looked out in game, but they're they've certainly got a good shot at it.
0: Okay, right. So so they have a good shot at it, right? And they're going to te- they're a team that's going to want to solidify that shot. Uh, what do they do with Dan Uggla then?
1: Well, I think the the working theory is they're going to start Reed Johnson in left field and move Martín Prado to second base, um, and kind of see how that goes. My guess is that this isn't a giving up on Dan Ugla kind of thing. This is uh let's give him, you know, maybe a week off and have him take a lot of extra early batting practice and review tape and see if we can figure out, you know, what he's done to his swing and fix it. And, you know, I think sometimes those adjustments are easier to make when you're not going up to face major league pitching and have to fall back into your old habits. Uh, Obviously, I'm not speaking from experience here, but logically it would make sense that if you had a week where you could just – the only swings you took were – Uh, you know, in BP or from pitching machines, and you could work on the changes that you need to make, uh, they'd be more likely to stick than if you were making those changes before the game and then went into the game that night and weren't ready to, uh, you know, use those new mechanics in order to hit Major League Pitching and, you know, got embarrassed as a
0: result. Okay, uh, the team with with which, um, Atlanta's contending and the, the National League East. Um, a team that probably at this point has as good a shot at making the playoffs as any team in the majors, uh, largely benefiting from a, uh, a major league best record or at least major league best winning percentage. So Washington Nationals, they of course uh, have Steven Strasburg. Uh, there's been a lot of hysteria with regard to his innings limits and uh, I've sort of actually as a, as a fan and slash quasi-analyst of baseball, I've Kind of sat out of it until uh, I guess there was a there was a uh, decision on that. Is there a decision on that right now?
1: Yeah, yeah. They announced that he's going to make two more starts. He's going to start at home this Friday, uh, and then he's going to start on the road against the Mets the next Wednesday, and then they're going to shut him down after that.
0: And he will not make another appearance for the rest of the regular season,
1: or or the postseason. I mean, they've basically said they're not going to bring him back after any amount of rest. Uh, His appearance in New York City on uh, September 12th, I believe it is, uh, will be the last that he makes this year.
0: Okay. Now, that seems crazy. I mean, you understand that it's to keep him healthy. One understands that 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 plan is designed to keep him healthy. Um, But I know that uh, you certainly have spoke um, frequently to the the importance, uh, to the value of... um, to a club, of making the postseason and doing well in the postseason. Um, yeah, the, I mean, it yeah. seems uh, like it would contradict the impo- that.
1: Right. I, mean, I think, like, not having it make any more starts in September or making fewer starts in September makes a ton of sense. I mean, their uh, lead in the NL East is large enough to where the marginal value of these games, even the next two games, is not very large. I mean Having Strasburg start these games, even his last few starts, uh, haven't had a very dramatic impact on, on Washington's chances of making the playoffs. So they're not getting much of a return for these starts right now. The odd thing is that there's obviously a huge value to having Steven Strasburg start games in October, and they're going to for- forfeit that value in the sake of keeping him healthy, which is a noble goal, but I do think you have to question the process through which that goal has been achieved. I mean, there's obviously a ton of factors here we don't know. Scott Boris is uh, notorious for having influence in the Washington National front Office. Has made a lot of statements about the liability the Nationals would have if they overworked Strasbourg and he did blow out his arm again, uh, you know, we don't know what Boris's influence extends to, but it's not that hard to imagine a scenario where, considering how many players on that roster are represented by him, that the Nationals, uh, are taking some, uh, care to, you know, I would, uh, I'm trying to not give him too much credit for making the decision here but uh you know i think boris's influence is probably felt in this situation and uh if this is what you know boris feels is best for his client um you know that probably has more say in this situation than it would in most other city and organizations
0: all right so that uh, that's the the steven strasberg status update that's that's the only uh, sort of thing i was interested in there um uh, of note also, uh, the September, um, with September having started, of course, uh, rosters have expanded to uh, um, uh, 40, 40 men. and Anyone that's on the 40 men roster can, can be in the dugout and play, correct?
1: Uh, yes. Yeah. If you put them on the 40-man and you want to pay the extra cost of increasing their salary and giving them service time, uh, you still have to call them up. I mean, it's not like teams automatically now have 40 guys in uniform. They have to make the decision to call them up. Uh, in many cases, you know they're not going to call up more than five or six. I think is kind of the accepted norms for most teams. Some teams will call up as many as ten, maybe if they want to have a whole bunch of situational relievers. But in, in general, you're going to see you know thirty or thirty-one man rosters instead of twenty-five.
0: Now, what's notable is that uh, uh, two teams that are decidedly in contention—one one, one um, looking like it, it's it's locked up a playoff spot, a, a division—I um, should say a division championship. And that's the Texas Rangers. Another team, the St. Louis Cardinals, very much in contention for the second uh, wild card spot in the National League. They've both called up players. Uh, we can might we might say uh, prospects of interest, prospects of note. Um, the Rangers have called up Jerickson Profar, who after homering uh, in the Futures game, uh, homered in his first ever plate appearance in the major leagues, and then uh, Shelby Miller for the Cardinals, who after a rough beginning to his AAA season has been kind of stupidly amazing, uh, I think over like his last 10 or 7 starts or something like that. Uh, I'm curious as to what you see the roles of, of both those players being and, and maybe more broadly the significance of them uh, being on the Major League roster in September.
1: Yeah, I think Miller's more likely to make an impact mostly because of the manager in charge. Ron Washington is, uh, stubborn to a fault, and I think there's some degree of loyalty that is, uh, honorable in a manager, especially, uh, a manager on a team that's having success, and, uh, there's no necessarily glaring reason for the Rangers to drastically shake up their roster when they're, you know, the best record in baseball and have been playing well and have been in the World Series, you know, two straight years. Uh, but, Ron Washington has adamantly said over and over again that he's not going to take playing time away from Michael Young, no matter how badly he plays, and Michael Young has been a total disaster this year. The team called up Mike Holt, I think, in hopes that he would get some playing time that was going to Michael Young. That hasn't happened. Holt has basically sat on the bench and watched, and, uh, you know, the other day when, or the day after they called Profar up to the majors, Michael Young started at shortstop, <laughs> they gave Elvis Sanders a day off, and they still wouldn't put uh, Profar in the lineup, so, I don't think we're going to see a lot of jerks in profar, mainly because Ron Washington is absurdly loyal to his veterans, uh, probably too much so, Um, and I don't think he's interested in creating any kind of roster controversy, where if Pro- profar plays pretty well in September, there might be some push to, for him to get regular playing time in the playoffs, and I, my guess is that Washington doesn't even want profar on the playoff roster. So I don't think you're going to see a lot of jerks in profar in September. Miller, on the other hand, is a pitcher, uh, You know, he can make a a more significant impact without it upsetting the apple cart or taking time away from a a player in St. Louis. Um, So I wouldn't be surprised if you see Miller work out of the bullpen a little bit, maybe get a start. And if he does, you know, anything close to what Matt Moore did last year when he got a call up, uh, it wouldn't be hard to see St. Louis adding Miller to the roster and saying, you know, here's a guy we're not going to be afraid to give the ball to in October.
0: Now, I would like to repeat a sentence um, uh, that you. That you spoke uh, not that long ago, which was, um, with and Profar having been called up to the Texas Rangers, and Profar noted as being, I, I think, both a plus defender in addition to a pretty good offensive player at shortstop. Uh, Ron Washington opted to start Michael Young at shortstop.
1: Yeah. Basically, with the two best defensive shortstops in the system sitting on the bench, he took his DH and moved him to shortstop in a game that, you know, kind of matters. I mean, Texas has a nice lead in the division, but uh, Oakland's won nine of their last ten, and I think they're leading down to four, four-and-a-half games. It's not totally impossible, if the Rangers play really badly in September, that they could lose the division. And, uh, you know, I think games for the Rangers still matter, and outcomes still matter, and yet Ron Washington intentionally played Michael Young in a stop while Sanders and Jerkson so far sat. It's, uh, it's a pretty amazing thing.
0: You would think that even that even Michael, for example, uh, might be better, because didn't Michael play shortstop in college, which wasn't that long ago for him, whereas Michael Young is uh, very much on the wrong side of 30 at this point?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, Michael Young is, uh rightfully moved to DH because he, they literally can't find a position on the field that he's not terrible at. He was a really bad defensive shortstop. They moved him to third, he was a disaster there. They moved him to first, he's not very good there either. Uh, so Young is basically a DH because he just can't field. It's not necessarily just the lack of range. He's just got bad instincts, bad reactions. He's, he's bad at catching balls, hit in a general direction, and yet uh, Ron Washington's still willing to put him at the most important defensive position in the field.
0: Right. Yeah, That's uh, it has been sort of frustrating watching that. I mean, you mentioned that loyalty is important, uh, and, and of course there's sort of diminishing returns on that when, when you're talking about Michael Young. I, I I don't know, can you think of... Other examples where this has happened, and you know if or is it just is it just unique that you're dealing with a team that is playing so well in its division where maybe the fans don't notice this happening or they're less apt to to criticize the maneuver because of the cushion the team has
1: I mean I think the fans definitely notice there's uh, you know there, there's a significant sentiment for both Mike Michael and jerkson pro again, to get more time in Texas. Ron Washington's pushback has always been. I'm not going to, uh, you know, throw my veterans under the bus after one bad year. And I think, you know, there's some, like, in some ways, Ron Washington is actually exercising a sabermetric principle here of uh, basically noting that Young's slump is new. I mean, he was a productive player last year. Uh Michael Young has a long stretch of being a good player, so Ron Washington is essentially saying that we shouldn't abandon our opinions of what he is after four bad months, which... Is the kind of thing that Sandgrass readers would agree with. Is you know what the, the sample of data that says Michael Young is terrible is a lot smaller than the one that said he was pretty good. I think where we would disagree with him is on the usefulness of players from the minor leagues, where it seems like Washington has basically no use for old or pro far simply because of their age and inexperience, and isn't willing to consider. Uh, that their talent may be such that it outweighs their lack of experience and that they could actually help his team win. He just sees young players who aren't deserving of a chance because they haven't put in their time yet.
0: Right, by definition. But they can't. Right. I guess it's hard for them to put in their time if the coach won't play them.
1: Yes. And I think, you know, it, this essentially just comes down to age. Uh, Washington made a comment about how ProFar was an A ball at this time a year ago. And therefore he doesn't deserve, you know, a major league job on a team that's trying to win. And he's made comments about how if the Rangers were in a different position and, you know, there were fifteen games out of first place then Provar getting playing time. But because the team is doing well, uh Provar's position is on the bench, which is a silly position to take. I mean I in reality there's no team in baseball that's so good that every player they have on the roster is better than every player in the minor leagues. <laughs> so it's just uh, the, the very best prospects in baseball are almost always better than some major league players who have starting jobs, who have experience, and have good track records. And pro Profar is the best shortstop prospect to come around in a l- really long time. I mean, you can go back to Jose Reyes, and he might be better than that. You can go back to Alex Rodriguez. Uh, Profar's not quite a rod, but he's a, you know, one of the best shortstop prospects we've seen in 20 years. And so, to say that just because he's 19, he doesn't deserve to play is, uh, short-sighted.
0: Um, did you see the the home run hit, perchance?
1: I d- I did see the home run hit. It was not
0: like a it was not like a just barely sort of home run.
1: Right, he's sneaky strong. <laughs> I think that's one of the things about Profar is you kind of get this idea of a nineteen year old shortstop prospect, and you think of a five foot seven hundred and thirty pound guy who can run and field and you know slaps and doubles. That's not jerks in Profar at all. I mean, Profar can run and he can play defense, but he's a hitter and he's a good hitter.
0: And. And, yeah, he's a, he's a good hitter, and he's hit a decent number of home runs uh, in the minors, 14 this year in, um, you know, uh, under 600 plate appearances. And he's just, he's thin, though. Like, he's Alexi Ramirez thin.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's definitely not a big guy. You don't look at him and think he's a flutter, but, it's, you know, it's really good hand eye coordination. It's good plate discipline. You fling with the right pitches. Yeah. Uh, and he knows how to turn on a fastball if you throw him one. So,
0: yeah, it'll be you know, exciting, he's, he's, yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I remember back to like when Edgar Renneria came up. Uh, you know, Renneria wasn't the prospect that, that Profar was, but he, you know, he was a thin, exciting young shortstop, and Renneria was, uh, instrumental on, uh, the Marlins World Championship run. I, I wonder if Ron Washington was even watching baseball back then and remembers what, what Renneria was able to do for that team, because Profar could really, you know, not that they need him with Elvis Andros playing, but, you know, as a, as a utility guy who plays a couple times a week, Profar could be a really useful thief.
0: Okay. Uh, with regard to roster expansion, um, more generally speaking, uh, I know that there are some criticisms about it um, that maybe it uh, makes competition laughable on the one hand, or you know, or maybe it affects uh, playoff races because you have a, you could have theoretically a team of of players who, as Ron Washington would note, you know, were in a ball last year. Um, I mean, that might be an exaggeration, but you know, something to that effect. Um, conversely. Uh, certainly, you have someone like myself. You, you know that I care deeply about all manner of fringe prospects. Um, and so this is a time of year that, that is particularly exciting for me. Um, you know, when you get uh, – um, who was it a couple of years ago? Uh, there was a catcher, Max uh, Max something, who was who came up for the Tigers. Um, you know, you can find it. Max St. Pierre? Yeah, Max St. Pierre, right. I think it was in particular his Frenchy-sounding last name. Uh, that i that i liked but yeah right you do see uh, french prospects you see other sorts of prospects uh, you see sandy leon get a get a call up for the nationals um an excellent defensive catcher who showed something offensively this year that's not going to be he's not going to make probably many front pages uh, but he probably has a place in in the major leagues uh sooner than later or at least deserves you know deserves a place uh i'm curious as to you know, roster expansion and what it means to you generally. Of course, as a Mariners fan, uh, it means you could see some players that uh, that you haven't seen before because, uh, you know, you're not really in contention. But broader than that, I'm curious.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's interesting. Jeff actually wrote this morning on Lookout Landing uh, about a kid named, well, he's not really a kid, Luis Jimenez. Of a, 30-year-old DH who uh, hit okay for the Tacoma Rainiers this year. And the Mariners have reportedly, according to Pablo Sandoval, who's now breaking news, uh, the Mariners have called up Luis Jimenez, and uh, they're going to give him a, a month on the roster to reward him for the fact that he put in a pretty good year. At AAA, he's obviously no kind a prospect. He's uh, 6'2", 320 pounds, uh, and as good defensively as you would expect any 320-pounder to be. Uh, so he's a DH with marginal offensive abilities who's 30 years old. And so this guy has no future in the major leagues, but he's gonna get a chance to, you know, fly around on, uh, you know, team planes and experience what major leagues are like and kind of get a reward for being a journeyman. And so that story is neat. And the roster extension gives more people a chance to fulfill their dream of saying, I was a major leaguer, even if Luis Menev is terrible for December, he'll still get to remember what will likely be the best month of his life. Uh so I think there's some value in the human element of it. I just wonder uh I am I am with those who think that it is uh a significant problem that when the games, you know, tend to mean the most in terms of um going down to the stretch and determining who's gonna make the playoffs, but all of a sudden teams can use thirteen relievers and you can just have a never ending series of matchups left on left, right on right, uh and then start, starting in the sixth inning, you can just play the platoon splits as much as you want, and you know if you've got a bunch of left-handed specialists down in the minor leagues, the game is totally different in September than it is in April. And um, you know I understand that I understand the reasoning. And The minor league season have ended; these guys have nothing else to do. It gives us a chance to reward guys who had good years. Um, I just think that like there's probably a better way to do this, and uh, I'm actually working on a post that would suggest that maybe we just flip when the when the rosters are expanded. So like to me, maybe it would make more sense to. Start the minor league season a month later, and have them play in more warm weather, uh, and you know start the season with expanded rosters when pitchers aren't uh, you know fully warmed up after a, a, an off season rest, and uh, you know start with 40 man rosters in April, and let everyone play and kind of figure out who the kids are and where they need to be, and you know give some kids some chances to to earn their way onto the major league roster earlier in the season, and then at the end of the year you know continue playing with 25. Uh, and let the minor leagues just keep going through the end of September. To me, that makes more sense than uh, starting the minors in cold weather, having a whole bunch of games rained out, having kids play in terrible weather, and then at the end of the year we add them to the roster because we have nothing for them to do. Uh,
0: do you anticipate Major League Baseball adopting this policy immediately? Well, I think
1: that anything I write is instantly considered by Bud Selig, and, yeah. Uh, so I would I would expect this to be implemented for 2013. Uh, you know, if not sooner, they might even go back and just continue the minor leagues because this is such a good idea. Yeah. They're going to institute games starting again tomorrow and then shrink the roster back to 25.
0: Naturally, naturally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm sure that's uh, what's about to happen. Now, listen, I want to uh, just uh, appeal uh, to your expertise. Uh, one last note here, Cameron. I'll be writing for uh, this afternoon a piece on Chris Medlin's repertoire uh, with, okay. number of, with a number of animated GIFs. Uh, so
1: basically so, you're
0: gonna redo the post that Ben Geronio did last week? Yeah, mostly yeah. Yeah. I asked Ben about it. I said, Ben, um, would that be too similar to the one you did? He said, People want Chris Medlin. People want Chris Medlin information. It's That's been, probably true.
1: It's what been, Chris Medlin's doing right now is kind of amazing.
0: Yeah, well so two things. First of all, um the title of that post, Chris Medlin Chris Medlin's repertoire illustrated or Chris Medlin's repertoire animated? Which do you think?
1: animated because illustrated would mean that you like drew it
0: on paper like so like a like a summer burton piece for not right <laughs>
1: exactly yeah, yeah. here's a portrait of chris medlin's curveball
0: yeah yeah that's true i guess it has less effect so i'll do animated then okay so that's one uh secondly is what chris medlin's doing surprising to you
1: well i would think it would be surprising to anyone right i mean he's running like a 35 era minus which is you know pego martinez in his prime in 1999 like uh, if anyone saw this coming, they're sort they're of liar or they're related to Chris Medlin, but uh even then, if they're related to Chris Medlin, they probably still wouldn't see this coming. I mean, he's, uh, he's pitching really well. He throws strikes. He gets ground balls. He gets some strikeouts. So there's talent there. He's also posting like a 1.3% homer to fly ball ratio, so there's some significant luck there as well. So Chris Medlin's not this good, but Chris Medlin is a lot better than people thought. And, you know, yesterday, I mean, Colorado's not a good team, but no walks and 12 strikeouts in a complete game. Uh, that's not bad, and there's uh, I think there's real talent here, and the Braves uh, have to be pretty thrilled with what Medlin's given them, and have to think that you know he's going to be a big part of their rotation going
0: forward. Well, the key is uh, the changeup, right? I mean, and this seems to be a, a common theme. I know that you certainly have discussed, you know, more than once uh, the the way that we sometimes overlook pitchers with plus changeups because we don't regard it as, as stuff. Uh, There's a, a piece you did um, that I particularly enjoyed. I think you were talking about how when we talk about a pitcher with stuff, um, historically at least, traditionally at least, we don't. We usually point towards velocity or maybe like a particularly nasty slider. We don't normally mean a change-up, but a change-up um, by your, you know, what you would suggest should be counted as stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think change-up pitchers in general get short, shift, uh, short shrift. Shrift, I, Schrift, I, never I really...
0: Yeah, I don't know Schrift. what Shrift is, but
1: Yes. well, they get shorted in Shrift. They they do not get enough Shrift in there. Uh, <laughs> uh, for whatever reason, I think that there's a bias against changeups, where it is seen as a deception pitch and not a and not a pitch that is uh, particularly effective without separation from the fastball. Which I don't think is true. I think a, a good diving changeup is basically a split finger. They're very similar, at least in terms of producing results. Um, and can get ground balls and swings and misses, I, I love the changeup. I think it's the best pitch in baseball. So a pitcher like Medlin, uh, who features a really good changeup without a dynamite fastball or a curveball uh, or some kind of breaking ball, generally is the type of pitcher that gets underrated. But I also think in Medlin's case, he's got a pretty long history of not being this good. So it's not like Medlin was destroying the minor leagues or was amazing in release for the last couple of years, where it was very clear that as soon as they moved into the rotation, he would become a... You know, a upper tier major league pitcher. Um, you know, I think that there's been some merit to the, to the notion that Medlin probably profiled best as a middle to back end of the rotation guy. Um, and, you know, that's probably still true. I mean, he's on a great run, but I, I definitely don't think that Medlin is, you know, one of the premium young arms in baseball.
0: You think he's more of a middling arm?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think that was a middling pun at best.
0: Yes, it well, was. At best. At best. Well, listen, uh, Dave Cameron. Managing Editor of Fangraphs. It's been a pleasure to talk to you about baseball.
1: Uh, it has been my pleasure.
0: Yeah. Hard to believe. Anyway, that is Dave Cameron, the Managing Editor of Fangraphs.com. Uh, I am am and will continue to be Carson Stooley. This has been an edition of Fangraphs Audio in which Dave Cameron analyzes all baseball.